Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called Morenevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Okay, hi everyone. Um, this is Daniel Karapkin speaking to you uh, from Thornhill, Ontario for webyeshiva.org. We are studying Moren Nevuchim, Maimonides' Guide for the Perplexed. Um, uh, we have been studying this text for quite some time. We are approaching the end of Chelek Bet, of the second section of the three sections of Moren Nevuchim. And we had, uh, the last time we met, uh, was uh, we, we had discussed the beginning of chapter 45, where the Rambam has been walking us through, uh, at the end of section two, a whole exposition on the nature of prophecy, what it is, um, how it works, and the, really the mechanics of the prophetic experience. Uh, this is quite important for the Rambam because the Rambam believes that one's attachment to God occurs through the intellect, the mind, which is the thing that makes us most godly. And so the way that prophecy works is through the, is through the perfection and the attenuation of the mind. Um, and that's how we can join with the Almighty, with Hashem. So that's why this is such an important topic for the Rambam. I'm going to um, share um, a handout for you and just to let you get our bearings and to let you know where we are. So just give me one moment and we'll bring that up. Now these, uh, uh, if those of you who are listening um, on audio only and or cannot see the screen for whatever reason, you can always download this sort of uh, set of notes um, uh, on the webyeshiva.org website, the course description for today's course on uh, section two, chapter 45, which is entitled the 11, but really 12 levels of prophecy. Now, let me just explain what I mean. The Rambam details in our chapter the 11 different levels of prophecy because not all prophets are alike. And, uh, um, uh, but the reason why I say that they're really 12 is because in reality, the Rambam at the, towards the end of our chapter says, these are the 11 prophecies, not counting the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is the 12th level. So the Meforshim at the beginning of this, pre, uh, this chapter, particularly the Shem Tov commentary, tells us that this is really rooted in a Gemara in Tractate Sota, which I have at the very top of the, of the handout for today. It says, Vayal Moshe me'arvot Moav el Harnavot. At the very end of the Torah, where it describes the demise of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah says that Moshe ascended from the plains of Moab up to Mount Navo, which would be the place where he would die and where God would bury him. Vitanya, the Brayta, teaches, There were 12 steps or gradations or levels that Moshe had to ascend to get from the plains of Moab to Harnavo. Moshe Echat. 
and Moshe traversed those 12 steps with just one step. So the question, of course, is what does that even mean? What is the significance of that statement? What are the, what are the sages alluding to? So the Shem Tov commentary says that Moshe was able to ascend to the 12th level of the prophetic experience. And Moshe, as we've said many times before, and the Rambam devoted an entire chapter to this idea, was that Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy was sui generis. He was the only human being ever to accomplish that 12th level of prophecy, which was, as the Torah describes, panim el panim, pe el pe, face to face, mouth to mouth, is the way that Moshe was able to uh, experience God on the prophetic plane, something that no other prophet has been able to do. And of course, it's because the role that Moshe played as being the giver of the law, the giver of the Torah, necessitated his achieving that level of the prophetic experience. But here we're dealing with um, general prophecy, prophecy that is accessible to all human beings. And uh, the Rambam, in describing his 11 levels, had told us, we started this chapter already a couple of weeks ago uh, at our last meeting, and the Rambam had told us about level one. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go a little bit out of order in our chapter today because the Rambam had devoted a lot of text to the first two levels of prophecy. I'm going to go over the first level that we learned already. Level one is the, and, and uh, before I go any further, I wanted to remind you that the Rambam tells us that the first two out of the 11 levels that he's going to present to us are not true prophecy in the technical sense. Because as the Rambam had taught us before, when a person is experiencing prophecy, a truly deep prophecy, it's either in the form of a dreamlike state or in a vision, and the, the prophet is aware that he is being addressed by God. These first two levels uh, are experienced in a completely awake state, and the individual may, uh, or the individual may have a dream of some kind, but they are not fully aware that they have been spoken to by God or they need, something needs to be explained to them or they don't hear actual words of prophecy at all. So they are called prophets or they are called prophecies in the generic sense, sometimes by scripture, but it's not true prophecy where the mind is actually completely engaged with a, a mechanism that the Rambam requires in order for it to be true prophecy. I'm going to uh, come back to this idea of what the mechanism is when we look at the very end of chapter 45, which I don't think we're going to be able to get to today. But today we're just going to discuss the 11 levels. So level one we've already talked about is where the individual is imbued with a spirit of inspiration. But that spirit of inspiration doesn't impel the person to say anything in particular. And rather, I'm just quoting, its object was to move the one strengthened by it to a certain, the way we explained it, even though this is not in the Pines edition, to a certain heroic action, which helps a wronged one, whether it be one great man or a community, or to an action that leads to that result, that a person or persons are saved as a result of the actions of this individual. And by the way, we're on the chapter 45 is, um, in the Pines edition is on page 395. And that's what the Rambam devoted when he talked about the first degree on page 396 and 397, where he talks about that this is a level of sort of inspiration, we would call it, not real prophecy, where a person is moved to act heroically and is aided by God 
uh, sort of is imbued with some spirit of inspiration, of, of energy, of um, adrenaline that allows him to be able to act heroically and be a, and be a savior. That's and he and there we will find many times that the scripture will say that the spirit of God was imbued within that person to act heroically. A person like Shimshon, for example, like Samson in the Book of Judges. Now the second level also is sub-prophetic. It's not actually prophetic, but he says the level is like this. Not only does the individual feel imbued with a spirit of inspiration, but he also feels an additional force, a force that drives him to particular speech. And he talks in, quote, wise saying, praise, in useful admonitory dicta, which means, you know, that's fancy language for saying that he's inspired to give words of musar, words of, uh, of rebuke that the nation needs to hear, or governmental or divine matters. He is awake during this experience, and the Rambam tells us that this level of inspiration is known as Ruach HaKodesh. This, the, and, and this term Ruach HaKodesh is used in many, many different ways. As a matter of fact, the Ramchal in his Derech Hashem, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato says that we use the term Ruach HaKodesh in both a technical and non-technical sense. The Rambam, however, is using it in a technical sense to say that some divine spirit imbues the person, inspires them to say something, but it's not something that the individual can say, oh, I heard these words echoing in my mind from God, ringing in my ears from God, and God told me to say this. But rather, it's almost like I feel impelled to communicate something, and it, the person is filled with the Ruach of Hashem, the Ruach of God. So we're going to spend a little bit more time on level two, even though the Rambam spends a lot of time on it on pages 398, 399 and 400. I'm going to put that aside for now. We'll come back to it after we finish the 11 levels of prophecy. So now we get, after covering levels one and level two, now we get to the levels of real, what we would say is really technically true prophecy. And the Rambam divides the, uh, the, the levels of prophecy into two groups. Uh, levels three, four, five, six, and seven, those five levels are called Chalom. They're called dream categories of prophecy. And levels 8, 9, 10, and 11 are called vision categories. And the term vision uh, appears in the Torah or, or Tanakh in one of three ways. Chazon Machazeh, really very, very similar from the same root of vision. And Mar'ah, which is also an, an, an apparition or an appearance in the mind of the prophet. They are very similar. We talked a lot about the difference between a mar'ah and a chazon in chapter 46. Um, we will actually come back to that. Um, uh, we talked about it also, sorry, not chapter 46, but uh, chapter 41, excuse me. We're in chapter 45. So we talked a lot about that in chapter 41. We will come back to it in a, in a later discussion. But the first uh, set of levels is dream. And a dream is where the person experiences this vision on a lower level, but is fully aware that he's having a prophetic experience. So level number three is as follows. The prophet has a dream and is shown an image that forms a parable without words for the prophetic message. The prophet awakens understanding the meaning of the parable. The Rambam adds that most of the prophecies of Zechariah 
the Zechariah the prophet, which contains so much important information about the about Jewish eschatology or the end of days, were of this genre. Okay, so that's the lowest level of prophecy. Level number four, the prophet has a dream and hears clear speech without seeing who the speaker is. This was like Samuel's initial prophecy as a lad under Ailey's mentorship, which we discussed in chapter 44 when we talked about what that whole story at the beginning of Sefer Shmuel Aleph, where Shmuel as a, as a young man is living in the same house as Ailey. In the middle of the night, scripture describes him hearing a voice, which he mistakenly thinks is the sound of his mentor, Ailey. And he runs into Ailey's bedroom and says, yes, master, what would you like? And Ailey says, I wasn't calling you. And Shmuel finally figures out after hearing this voice many times that it's really the voice of God and not the voice of his mentor. So this is a, a, a next the next level up of prophecy, but because Shmuel had not yet experienced prophecy, he really didn't fully understand it. But it is where the prophet hears very clear speech coming to him. Um, and once he's trained as a prophet, he understands he, and he knows how to distinguish between real life external speech on the physical plane and speech that is coming to him from a prophetic source. Level five, the prophet has a dream and hears speech from a visible man. And this, uh, uh, and so therefore in the vision or in the dream that you're having, you see an image of a human being speaking to you. As we find in Sefer Yecheskel that he achieved that level of prophecy, as it says, Vayidaber Eli Haish ben Adam, that a man came to me in my in this in this uh, dream that I had of prophecy, and he spoke to me and said, Son of man, etc. Level number six, the prophet has a dream and hears speech, but instead of seeing it coming from a human life, a, a human form, he hears it from a visible angel. And the angels many times are described in very graphic form as having wings. And, uh, and standing tall, and so forth and so on. And the Rambam writes that this is the state of the majority of prophets. As in, where we see the at the beginning of Parshat Vayetze, Yaakov Avinu has the dream-like prophecy where he falls asleep, Vayachalom, and he has a dream. Vihine sulam mutsav arza, and there is a ladder, and the angels are going up and down the, the ladder. And while he's having that dream, it says, Vayomer Eli, Malacha Elokim Bachalom. So actually, this is not the prophecy of the latter. It's actually where Yaakov is speaking to Rachel and Leah after doing the whole thing with the speckled sheep. So I just want to correct myself. Uh, I'll get back to the latter later on. This is where Yaakov is speaking to his wives and he tells them that I had an image of an angel come to me in a dream. And it said to me, Yaakov Omar Hineni, and I said, I am here, I am ready. And this angel told me that I have to leave Lavan's house and I have to take a great amount of wealth with me, and etc. etc. And Yaakov related this all to his wives in order to convince them that it was time for him to go. So this is really a very direct um, um, text that tells us that most prophets were like Yaakov on this level of being spoken to by an angel of God and having it in a chalom, in a dreamlike state. Level number seven, the prophet has a dream and hears speech as it were 
from a visible manifestation of God himself. Okay, so here there's some type of apparition that appears to the prophet in a dream. It's unclear how what that form takes, but because it's a dream and it's extremely vague, the prophet understands that God is directly speaking to him, even though he may not be able to make out a specific form because it's all a dream. But he definitely knows that God is the speaker and conveying the speech. And the Rambam gives uh, three examples of this, two from Sefer Yeshaya and one from Sefer Melachim. So just as one example, um, uh, that uh, Yeshaya says, I saw God himself seated on a throne. And, uh, and, and so you see that whatever that, and we see the same type of, of uh, apparition that appears to the prophet in Malachim. Ra'iti et Hashem yoshev al kiso, va'al tzva shamayim made a love, or sorry, v'chol tzva shamayim made a love, mimino mismalo. I saw God sitting on his throne, and all of the host of heaven was sitting to his right and to his left. So this is an authentic prophecy, and it's the highest level of dreamlike prophecy, where you're having a vague um, uh, presentation or illustration in your mind, and you can per clearly perceive that God is there present in that moment. Sometimes even you can see a throne of God in that image, um, and it's not clear what God himself looks like because God has no form. But that's clearly what the prophets are describing. Level number eight through 11 now bring us to the vision categories, what we would call either a chazon or a mar'ah. And we went through this quite extensively when we learned chapter 41, the difference between a chazon and a mar'ah. It seems that, um, and, and I'll put that aside for now, let's just treat them as one category for now. So level number eight, and it's you'll see that there's a pattern here that we formed in the, in the dreamlike prophecies. We started with just seeing a vision without speech. Then we went to speech, but without knowing who the speaker is. Then we went to speech coming from an, um, a human form. Then we went to speech coming from an angel. And finally, we got to speech coming from God himself. Now we see the same kind of pattern forming uh, when we go to level eight, starting again from just seeing an image. The prophet has a vision of an image that forms a parable. As the Abarbanel explains, why does the Rambam say that this vision took place during the day? Of what significance is that to in describing this level of prophecy? Well, if you look carefully at that chapter in Genesis, chapter 15 in Genesis, you'll note that part of that prophecy, which starts at the very beginning of the chapter, is Avram having a conversation with God. And God says, to Avram, I'm going to give you a great reward. Um, but then Avram says, but God, I don't have anyone to succeed me. You have not given me any seed. And God says, um, uh, don't worry. Lo your, your son Yishmael will not be your heir. Rather, there will be another issue from your loins 
who will be your heir and be the progenitor of the chosen people. And then in verse number five, the Torah says, Vayotze oto hachutza, that God took Avram outside, Vayomer habetna hashamayim, and God told him, look up at the sky, usfor hakochavim im lispor otam, and count the stars. And God says to him, ko just like you cannot count the multitude of stars, so too your children will be so vast in number that they will defy counting. Now, the Rambam says that this vision happened during the day. And therefore, when God took Avraham outside to count the stars, it wasn't nighttime, it was daytime. Ergo, this was all happening in a vision. It wasn't happening in real life. That's the point that the Rambam wishes to communicate. Now, it's also quite fascinating that even though the scripture says that this is part of a dialogue that God is having with Avram, nonetheless, the Rambam says that at the moment when Avram was looking up at the stars, it was a parable without speech. It was a vision during the day that was not accompanied by speech. How can the Rambam write this when the scripture clearly says that God said, that just like the stars are are um, not able to be counted, so will your seed defy counting. And you have to suggest that what we're going to see is that the, there's a higher level of prophecy in a vision that includes speech. And you have to conclude that what the Rambam is understanding is that the prophet can oscillate back and forth between hearing speech and seeing a vision without speech even within the same prophetic experience. That is, the prophet can jump from level eight to level nine, which we'll see in a moment, and go back down to level eight, and then go back up to level nine, uh, back and forth, sometimes hearing speech, sometimes only seeing a vision, sometimes seeing a vision that is accompanied by speech, and so forth. So um, the, the, um, the part that is not accompanied by speech is the part where either Avram is counting the stars, or it comes later in that chapter where God says to Avram, take for me certain animals, and Avram takes those animals, slaughters them, and cuts each animal in half. And then uh, it says that a vulture came down to try and peck at the carrion, and Avram had to had to shoo away the the uh, the vulture, and then the sun goes down, and then Avram goes into a into a trance-like state, and he continues having his prophetic experience on a deeper level. So on this level, the Rambam says that the cut parts actually was not part of the physical world. When Av when the Torah says that Avram took these animals and cut them in half and the vulture came down, that was all part of a visionary experience. It was all in his mind. And as you'll recall, when we learned about the Rambam's interpretation of the story at the very beginning of Parshat Vayera, where the three angels come to visit Avram, uh, the Rambam there too says, this did not happen on a physical plane. This happened as a visionary experience in the mind of Avram. So what the Rambam is basically saying is that level eight is where the prophet experiences an image, uh, a vision of an image that forms parable or parables that is not accompanied by speech. That part of the dream 
or vision, where Avram was walking between the cut parts and chewing away the vulture that was not accompanied by speech, but it formed an image that would be a sort of a prelude to God actually speaking to him immediately afterwards, which goes on to the next level of prophecy. Level number nine, the prophet has a vision where he hears speech, as in, where God says to Avram earlier in this prophetic experience that Yishmael will not be your heir, but rather you will have another child, Isaac, who shall be your heir. And as we point out in the brackets, the fact that this verse appears immediately before Avraham experienced level eight as above indicates that the prophet can oscillate between different levels during the same prophecy. That's the only way that I can understand what the Rambam is saying. Um, I've looked around in the commentaries. I don't see necessarily that they note uh, anything more than what I've just pointed out, but I just wanted to bring that point up to you. Level number 10, the prophet has a vision not only of seeing a vision, not only of hearing a voice, but also seeing a man speaking to him. As in the angels who visited Avraham in Elone Mamre, they came to him in the form of men, uh, or the angel who visited Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, right before he went out to the war against Jericho. It says, Vayisaina Vayar, Ish Omed that he sees a man standing in front of him. He has his sword in hand, and it's a very terrifying experience for Joshua, but this is all happening on a, on a visionary level. It's, all not, it's not happening in the real world. It's happening in a vision. And finally, we get to level number 11. The prophet has a vision of an angel speaking to him, as in the angel who addressed Avraham at the Akedah, where the prophet doesn't just see a human form, but he sees something that looks like an angel or that he perceives that it is an angel that is speaking to him. And it, just like we see, that an angel calls out to Avraham from the heavens, calls out his name, and Avraham says, here I am. Now, this is really, I believe, the first time where it is implied by the Rambam that the Akedah also was only a visionary experience. Does that mean that the entire Akedah, Akedat Yitzchak, did not happen in the real world? Does that mean that there was no tr a trip that Avraham took with his son Isaac, where he saddled up the donkey early in the morning, traveled with the youths, took Isaac up to the mountain, tied his body to an altar, and was about to slaughter him? Was that also all in a visionary experience? It seems that way, from what the Rambam writes at this point. However, I'm going to suspend committing myself to that statement because I'm not 100% sure. But I do want to point out that certainly at least a part of the Akedah experience was in a vision to Avraham. It's not that an angel literally came down from heaven and physically took physical form and grabbed Avraham by the wrist, holding him back from slaughtering his son. We know this because the Avraham, the Rambam has said already, has taught us that any kind of narrative in Tanakh which features an angel is always occurring in a vision. Okay. So let's go on to the next level. Level number 12 is that of Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's really all the Rambam says. He says, these 11 levels are excluding the level of Moshe, which was the highest level. And we devoted an entire chapter to describing 
the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu, which was sui generis because he needed to be the giver of the law. And that concludes our 12 levels of prophecy. Before we end, I just want to elaborate a little bit on level number two, because the Rambam actually brings out some very important points in describing that which, we, that, that which he calls Ruach HaKodesh. He says examples of people who had Ruach HaKodesh and were not true prophets in the true technical sense are David when he wrote the Psalms, Solomon when he wrote the book of Proverbs, Mishlei, Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, and the Song of Songs, Shir HaShirim, Daniel, Job, Eov, and the authors of Divrei Hayamim, the book of Chronicles, and all the other what we call Kituvim. Now, as many of you are aware, we use an acronym to describe the Holy Scriptures of the Bible. We call it Tanakh. Tanakh is three letters. Ta is for Torah, Na is for Nevi'im, and Cha is for Ketuvim. Why are the Holy Scriptures divided into three parts? Well, we certainly understand why the Torah is separated from the rest of the Holy Scriptures, because it's the Pentateuch. What we call the Pentateuch is the communication of God uh, to man via Moses, and it is a very finite set of text that God wished to codify as the Word of God uh, and the giving of the law, as it were, and that's the five books of Moses, right? But why do we have to divide Nevi'im and Ketuvim? Why are there two portions of the text, the Holy Scriptures, that come after the Pentateuch, after the five books of Moses? The Rambam tells us clearly why. Those books that belong to the Nevi'im were prophetic experiences, were words that were recorded by the prophets after having prophecies. Anything that is contained in the Ketuvim, according to this Rambam, are, are sub-prophetic experiences, including David's Tehillim. David was not a prophet. He had Ruach HaKodesh. Solomon was not a prophet. He had Ruach HaKodesh. And therefore, these works are canonized, not because they are prophecies, but rather because they are imbued with inherent holiness as being inspired by God. Okay, and there's a subtle difference. How subtle that difference is, the Rambam doesn't tell us, and we're not going to examine that right now, but I do want to make that point. And the rabbis explicitly state that the book of Esther, which we're going to be reading tonight, today is Tanit Esther, um, was written with Ruach HaKodesh. And as a matter of fact, the Medrash also says that the other Megillot, the book of Ruth as well, was written with Ruach HaKodesh. And you have this Gemara over here from Tractate Megillah, page 7a. Tanya Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Esther Beruach HaKodesh Ne'emra. The book of Esther was written with Ruach HaKodesh, with divine inspiration. Now, how do we know this? Shenemar Vayomer Haman Belibo as it says that Haman said to himself. How could anyone chronicle what Haman said to himself if no one other than Haman heard himself saying this to himself? Uh, we and then we, the, the Gemara goes through several sages who prove from the verses themselves that this work must have been written, written through some kind of divine intervention and inspiration because it gives us information that only God himself would have, such as Rabbi Akiva's statement, it's at the, the, the Megillah says, Esther no eha, that Esther was beautiful in the eyes of everyone who saw her. Now, how is, that, how is any author supposed to know that? It must be that it was written with Ruach HaKodesh, or the statement of Rebbe Meir, 
as it says, that Mordechai discovered the the assassination plot. How could he have known it if it weren't for the fact that Mordechai was imbued with Ruach HaKodesh? And that's how he found out about the plot to assassinate Achashverosh. Rabbi Yossi ben Durmaskis says that it says, that when the Jews went to war against the anti-Semitic Persians, they did not lay hands on the spoils. How was anyone supposed to corroborate that unless it was written with Ruach HaKodesh? And the sage Shmuel, the Amora Shmuel says, if I was with those group of sages, I would have provided them an even more convincing source text, which is Kiyamu Vikibalu, that all of the Jews at that time accepted the edict of Purim. And he reads it as Kiyamu Lamaila Mashikiblu Lamata, that in heaven, the, the heavenly host, including God himself, accepted everything that was enacted about the holiday of Purim um, and ratified that which the Jews of below had instituted as a religious practice of celebrating the holiday of Purim. And the only way to know that it was ratified in heaven is if the authors of this text had Ruach HaKodesh while writing it. The Rambam then says this was also the level of, uh, of, divine, of divine inspiration of Ruach HaKodesh was what the 70 elders as well as Eldad and Medad experienced in the book of Numbers in Parshat Bahalotcha, where it describes that God told Moshe that he would be assisted by 70 elders who would bear the burden of the nation with him. But there was a spillover of Moshe's divinity over to these 70 elders. And there too, even though scripture says that they prophesied, this was not a true prophetic experience, and presumably the Rambam maintains this because for the Rambam, a person must go through a very rigorous preparation process in order to be able to have true prophecy. And since these 70 elders were only selected by lottery, it's not feasible that they went through that rigorous process. So they did have Ruach HaKodesh, but they were sub-prophets, they were not prophets themselves. Rambam writes that this was also what the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, experienced when he would look at the Urim Vitumim, the stones on his breastplate, and be able to decipher a message that was communicated by God through the illumination of those stones. It was the level of a number of prophets about whom it says that the spirit of God or the spirit of Elohim rested upon those individuals. And then the Rambam writes that this was also the level that belonged to the non-Jewish prophet, Bilam, who is also discussed in the book of Numbers. And he says that Bilam had this level, and I quote, when he was righteous, when he was kasher, when he was a good man. And this is very surprising. The Rambam says that when we look at scripture and we see Bilam having prophetic experience and saying words that come out of his mouth, because it says, Vayasem davar b'fiv, that God placed words in Bilam's mouth, it means that Bilam at that moment was righteous, and he therefore was able to experience what's called Ruach HaKodesh. He wasn't a true prophet, but he had achieved levels of inspiration that allowed him to say words that were coming to him from, from a divinely inspired source, shall we say. Rav Chazdai Kreskas, one of the classic commentaries to the Morena Vuchim, has a lot of difficulty with this, and we're not going to take a look at the entire commentary now because we're a little bit short on time, but he basically questions this idea of the Rambam 
that Bilaam was at one point a good man and then eventually he became a villain because it seems that he actually said prophetic words of an even higher level at the end of Parshat Balak when it was clear that he grew villainous and um, contemptuous of the Jewish people, wanted to curse them on his own, but yet at that point, God also put words in his mouth. So the uh, so Rav, uh, Rav, Rav Kreskes challenges this Rambam and says he doesn't really understand how the Rambam can say that Bilam only had these prophetic words when he was a good man and not when he was a bad man. If someone were to ask me how to explain the Rambam and to respond to Rav Kreskes's challenge, I would say as follows. It's true that Bilam turned evil, but according to the Rambam, he only turned evil at the end of Parshat Balak, where, according to the Medrash, he gave advice to Bilam to have Midianite women seduce the Jews to sin. That was the point where the, the, uh, where the man Bilam truly turned into an evil villain. Right, because he realized that he was unsuccessful in trying to curse the Jews, and instead he came up with an insidious plan. But his idea of cursing the Jews was not necessarily because he was a bad person. He was hired as a mercenary to try and eliminate an enemy of the, the, of the people of Moab. If we were looking objectively at the ancient world at that time, how was Bilaam supposed to know that the Jews were chosen by God and he might not have realized that. He might have thought that they were being, like, like a lot of people accuse Israel today, of being the enemy, of being an apartheid nation or, or whatever. He might have bought into the propaganda of whatever was popular in that time among the people in the desert area of the Middle East. And he might have thought quite genuinely that the Jews were to be viewed as an enemy, as a bad people who needed to be avoided or at least to protect the Moabites from the from the bane of the Jewish people. And that was, and therefore he had every good intention. And it was only when his advice to Balak became insidious to try and get to try and corrupt the Jews through sin that he became a villainous individual. But we'll put that to the side right now. And we'll finish the chapter by saying it turns out that David and Solomon were not true prophets. And therefore, he notes that anytime we see scripture saying that God spoke to David or Solomon and gave them prophetic information, it was not direct prophecy to them, but it was via a prophet such as Natan Hanavi or Achiah Shiloni, etc. Therefore, even the prophecy of God appearing to Solomon in a dream and granting him greater wisdom than all men, which is the prophecy that appears in the first book of Kings chapter 3, is not to be understood as a true prophecy but rather as a sub-prophetic enlightened dream. The proof of this is that when Solomon awoke, it states, Shlomo that Shlomo awakened and he awakened from a dream. Whereas for a true prophet, they state decidedly upon awakening that it was a prophetic vision. We can therefore compare this to Yaakov's dream of the ladder, where uh, instead of it saying that that Yaakov awoke from his dream and discovered it was a dream. It doesn't say that. It says, Yaakov awoke from his dreamlike prophecy. God was in this place and I did not know. In other words, Yaakov, upon awakening, recognized that he had just had a prophetic experience. But Shlomo, upon awakening, did not acknowledge that it was a prophecy but rather a very powerful dream, a dream that was inserted in his mind by God, but was not on the level of real true prophecy. 
the same is true of Daniel, also a book in the Ketuvim, not in the Nevi'im, who also had dreams of angels, but called them dreams, not prophecies, after the fact. And we'll just leave you with this question, because this leaves us about a page shy of finishing chapter 45, which we won't have time to do today. The question is, why are there only 11 levels of prophecy before the level of Moshe Rabbeinu? There seems, it would seem that there should be a 12th level before Moshe Rabbeinu, and that level should be a vision where the prophet has a vision, in other words, it's the higher level, not a chalom, but rather a chazon or a mar'ah, of God himself communicating with the prophet seated on a divine throne or however God positions himself. The Rambam will deal with this issue at the end of the chapter. If, in other words, the question is, if in the category of dreamlike prophecies, the prophet can have a vision of God himself communicating, why isn't there a parallel level on the Chazon or Mar'ah level where the prophet has the ability to see God clearly in this visionary experience uh, where God is communicating directly with the prophet? So think about that. May, you may want to go over the 11 levels of prophecy by using this sheet as a review. And Mirza Hashem, God willing, next week we will continue and finish chapter 45. Um, sorry for going a little bit over time. Um, let me wish you all a Purim Sameach and I hope to see you next time. Take care, everybody. Purim Sameach. Purim Sameach. Sameach.